This morning we're going to continue with um, the series on Galatians, and we're going to land on Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. I'd like to read that to you, and then we'll move right into some thoughts that, uh, that have kind of uh, been stirred as I've, I've spent some time looking at this passage for this morning. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Our text that is before us this morning sets for us uh, to consider the ways that we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. We are to walk by the Spirit, we are to live by the Spirit, and we are to keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit Paul is speaking of is the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit that was promised to us by Christ to be sent by the Father. It is God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that has come upon us or come to us. The dialogue of this introduction of the Holy Spirit coming to us as believers or coming to the church unfolds in the upper room as Jesus is with his disciples in the last hours of his life. It begins something like this in John 14. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and he dwells within you. John, or Jesus continues this dialogue uh, as it's recorded a little bit later in the same gospel, chapter 16, when the Lord says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but what he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. 
So the stage has been set, and the Holy Spirit ushers in at the birth of the church and is recorded for us in the book of Acts during the time of Pentecost. And then we watch it up being, his, his activity being demonstrated throughout the establishment of churches throughout the known world. Well, what does this Holy Spirit mean to you and to me? He's, he, sp- he spoke to the disciples, and he spoke through the disciples, and as he was planning the churches around the world. As the promise was made to the twelve in the upper room, it's made to you and me as well. And this is what the Holy Spirit, as it's revealed to us in the scriptures, is to do for you and to me. He is to be our advocate. He is to be our helper. He is to be our counselor. He is to impart upon us powers that enable us to be bold in our witness for Jesus Christ. When we pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf and sometimes even gives the words that we ourselves can't give in a time of prayer, as he would address on our behalf the Father and the Son. He is our source to guide us and to lead us to truth and to keep us in the truth, as he is, he is our conscience between right and between wrong. He is our teacher. He reveals to us things that are yet to come. And he gives us discernment, again, knowing right from wrong. And he is to be a witness to Jesus Christ. Everything that the Holy Spirit does for us or does through us is always pointing to Christ. When the Apostle Paul encouraged us to walk by the Spirit, he was not referring to the spirit of man, our natural tendencies, our inclinations, our whims, or, as he says, our desires of the flesh. And here is where the battle unfolds, as Paul describes for us in in verse 17. For the desire of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. The battle rages on. For these oppose each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Have you ever felt that way? that there's just a struggle all the time of trying to do what is right, it it is so difficult at times. Maybe an appreciation of this, again, is found as it's described for us in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 7. I want to read it to you from the New Living Translation because I think this really captures what you and I feel at times as the writer of Romans has expressed it for himself. It reads... It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Boy, does that put it, I guess, in a descriptive way of where you and I can identify with with this battle. It doesn't have to be somebody else's words. The words are our own as well. So, in verse 19 through 21, we have the the evidence of of this battle going on and how it has has infiltrated the very lives of those who would want to follow Christ. 
Because now we see the works of the flesh. They're evident through sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Those are four very important words, things like these. This is not an exhaustive list that somehow uh, other things have to be ignored or forgotten. Be assured that there's much more that contributes to this, this uh, process of living in the natural instead of the spiritual or supernatural. These th four words uh, are, again, I think, amplified by some of the other writings in, in Paul's letters, and particularly I'll refer to the, one, of the, uh, one of the sections in Colossians where he, he does embrace some of these same things we have just read, but he adds to the list. And I, I share this with you to indicate that the battle rages on. Colossians 3, 5 through 8. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. It's getting closer and closer to the things that we experience in our life day in and day out. Maybe, maybe we don't lash on to any of these things, but certainly we have experienced them, experienced them in some way or another. The seriousness of these deeds of the flesh are highlighted in the words we have just read to the church in Colossae, where it says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The seriousness of these charges appear also in what we have read from our text this morning. Verse 21b, I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, sin is serious business. Sin is destructive. Sin undermines everything that really God wants for us. Our reluctance to deal with sin has consequences. Let me tell you, sin hurts. Sin hurts the sinner. Sin hurts those who we sin against. Sin, sin compromises our testimony. It hurts our, our witness for Jesus Christ. Sin hurts the church. Our sin hurts the church. My sin hurts the church. And even greater than that, my sin, your sin, our sin hurts Jesus. Our reluctance to deal with the destructive power of, the, of, of, of sin in our lives is, is heard and seen in so many ways as we are even hesitant to call it sin as we are even hesitant to acknowledge that it's in our lives, we dismiss it by saying such things. Oh, it's a failure. It, oh, oh, it was a mistake. Oh, poor choices, sorry. It's a slip-up. We don't call it what it is. Let me give you a couple quotes here. Max Lucado, in his book, A Gentle Thunder, puts it this way. Fallen man... I'm sorry, sin is not an unfortunate slip 
or a regrettable act. It is a posture of defiance against God. It's rebellion. It's coming against God. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Sin is an open act of defiance in the face of God that we want our will over his will. We consider our place supreme over him and others around us. Romans 1, verses 18 and 21, again, suggests the seriousness of this problem. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. We live in a time of darkness. And what's even more concerning, we have gotten quite used to the darkness. We don't even address darkness for what it really is. Um, I remember an occasion when we were going up to Indiana to see Jan's folks, the kids were little, and we started to stop at Mammoth Cave. And if you've ever been in one of those caves with all the caverns, it's, uh, it's really, really something to see. The, the beauty of, the, of the, the, the geological structures of stalactites, stalactites is top because of the T, stalagmites, bottom, you know, I got that all remembered from sixth grade. But as we left the brilliance of the day, the full sun uh, just lighting up our world and entering into that cave, our eyes had to adjust to the darkness. We became more accustomed to the darkness, to the point we finally found ourselves in one of those large chambers of where the guide was telling us some of the things about the cave. And then he wanted to demonstrate to us just how dark it really is. And he turns off the lights. And it is so dark, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. It is pitch black. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that's how desperate we could be if we continue to allow the darkness of this world to and somehow become accustomed to it and just accept it as something we have to live with, we too could find ourselves in utter darkness if we do not continue to remember the source of true light. Jesus Christ. This is, this is dark stuff. <laughs> Sin is dark stuff. But I don't want you to despair. Listen to this. So then, there is no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus Christ, for the power of the living God, living, for the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Jesus Christ from the power of sin that leads to death. Our deliverance is in Christ. He, he, he came as the light into this world. He came to erase the darkness. He came to eliminate the darkness in our own lives. So, Paul instructs us to walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. Well, just, just how do you do that? 
How do you walk in the Spirit? Once more, turning to some of the writings of Paul, I want to give you his words of instruction as he shared it with a number of churches, as recorded for us in his epistles. Paul begins, uh, one of his comments is found in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. This is what Paul says. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what is one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit? To reveal to us what the, Lord, what the will of the Lord is. By abiding in the Spirit, we are guided to discover and discern the very will of God. Reading on, in Philippians, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. This has to be a mindset. We have to take our minds over the things that are dark and think of the things that are light. We have to, we have to focus on those things that are pure, those things that are true. These, this instruction really is pointing to Christ because who is pure? Who is true? Who is excellent? Who is praiseworthy? But Jesus Christ himself. And if we give our, our minds uh, if we give our minds and hearts to those things that are true and pure, our minds and hearts will be on Christ himself. Finally, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner from the Lord, Paul says, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace the spirit to dwell within us, the spirit to unite us in Christ, living in peace because of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. The problem is that the focus is always on ourselves. That's what sin is. The focus is always on ourselves. And until we come to the point to realize that our focus is supposed to be on Jesus Christ, and even our focus is to be on those around us, only then will we be able to somehow... Get the upper hand on this battle that's raging within us by remembering that our eyes are to be on Christ. We take, take steps forward to crowd out those things of the flesh. We, we look for ways that, again, divert our focus off ourselves and point us closer and closer in the direction of Jesus. We have not been promised that these these inclinations will go away, that somehow we, we, we will have victory over them and we don't have to worry about it anymore. It continues on, and it'll continue on until the return of Jesus Christ. But our example is set before us, not the fruit of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. This is such a rich passage. It's just, it just oozes goodness. I want to read it to you, verses 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Boy, isn't that beautiful? And you know what? All these attributes that we just looked at point to Jesus Christ, point to Christ himself. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. 
It's not something that we can make happen. You know, we're not going to determine that I today am going to have all these attributes and demonstrate that I'm a follower of Christ. No, it's a dependent upon it's a, it's a dependence upon the work of the Holy Spirit in us to allow the very fruit of the Spirit to be manifested through us and therefore be able then to walk in the Spirit and to stay in step with the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. I, I, I like the reminder that Paul gives us to stay in step with the Spirit, which is, again, kind of saying, you got to keep up. <laughs> you can't let go. You can't quit. you got to just stay with it. I th- the, this may not make any sense to you at all, but the thing that ran through my mind when I read that passage is, is the, the, the little guy that goes in the toy store with his dad. And dad's got his hand and they walk in this, this world of, of just entertainment of all kinds, sizes, and shapes. And, and all he can do is focus on these things that, that he would love to have. And he pulls away from his father. He, he pulls out of the, the loving care or grip of a dad to somehow get closer to those things that are temporal, those, those, those pleasures of the life that, that is, is can vanish in a moment. How many times right after Christmas the kid gets a toy and he breaks it and, and he's devastated by it? So here he is, lost in this world of fantasy, only to recognize that his dad's hand is still open. His dad's hand is still reaching for him. And until the child recognizes that what is true and what is certain and what is absolute is the love of the father, the one that will provide for those pleasures, but but at the same time, make certain that they are to, to our good and not to our detriment, to the things that we need and not just the things that we want. I want us to visualize a father that just always has his hand out for us and have the, have the gall or the, uh, the, the, the sense to recognize that's exactly where our hand needs to be in the one who loves us and provides for us and gives us everything that we need. He, he, he wraps this, thing, uh, this, this passage up by saying, let, not, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And, and I like the way he wraps this passage up, because what is he doing? He's reminding us, you haven't arrived. You, you don't find the place, and there you are. That's where you're supposed to be. He's reminding you that when you are seeing the manifestation of these fruits in your life, doesn't mean that you got it. It means you got to hang on to it, because these other things can creep into your life. This whole thing about uh, being conceited. Here I am. You see me? <laughs> I've got it together finally. No, that's not the way it is at all. And by doing that, I provoke others by that kind of behavior. It reminds us that the battle rages on. It's a continual fight. But we're on the winning side. Thanks be to God who gives us Jesus Christ. Our victory is in Christ. And that's what this whole passage is about. I was trying to figure out really how to conclude this this whole message. And and I wanted something that would just kind of resonate in hitting kind of the points that we tried to, to land on this morning, but speak specifically to the church to you and me as members of the body of Christ. And I, I found what I believe could serve as maybe the, not just the conclusion, but a benediction to this message this morning. Can I read it to you? Well, you, I don't have to ask you. I'm going to read it anyway. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. 
Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word, in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, our Father, through Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.